Welcome to Summer Bays, the unofficial home and away podcast brought to you by Clara Kavner, where I take a weekly look at the trials and those big old tribulations of Australia's most beloved surfer town, Summer Bay. Each week I do a deep dive into the week's events and discuss dilemmas our characters are remarkably good at finding themselves in, like, is marriage really that important to you, Justin? Really? Or is getting engaged after three months really the best idea? Really? Get ready to feel closer each day to home and away. Now, before I get going, just want to share that this is a no-spoiler podcast. I don't look ahead to any of the plot lines. I don't watch what's coming up next on Home and Away, especially that little 30-second teaser they do at the end of each episode. Just hold off, resist, don't look at it. Honestly, you won't know yourself. The show just transforms. Try it for a week and see. Right, so there is an awful lot to unpack in the Morgan household this week. So Justin and Tori are still reeling in the shock invitation that Justin doled out to Christian, inviting him to move in. And on principle, Tori is completely right in saying, it's not really your decision, it's up to me, I'm not ready to have this chat with Christian, and why is your bromance just... (laughs) taking over my relationship fair enough so Justin eventually learns to stay out of it even going as far to firing Christian as his doctor but everything has turned up on its heels when they get engaged so uh, my original my first reaction is come on just come on what are you doing it's such an elaborate plot line so we have Tori being this like stubborn mule over the move in. And that seemed to be way more serious than agreeing to marry someone. Look, we all know it's a big deal for Tori. We all know that she really deserves this kind of happiness. And he's really is being her knight in shining armor. And it's great that their relationship is moving forward in this way. It is. No, it's perfect. But at every progression to the next step in Tori and Christian's relationship, Tori's had a pretty big problem with it. Like, even going back to their first kiss, at every turn they have made together, every hurdle they have crossed, every pickle they have solved, Tori has had a problem with it. And to her, freaking out about the moving in thing is only just in uniform to her previous behaviour. So when a proposal comes on the scene, she just turns into this blissfully happy gliding woman who's gotten all her dreams even though they've only known each other for three months known each other they haven't even been dating for that long look I love Tori I want her to be happy but did the relationship really need to take this gigantic step and all of a sudden their relationship has like been catapulted into something way more serious which causes this massive ripple effect amongst everyone with this massive news and kind of unsettles everybody except for Tori and Christian and they kind of look like this power couple even though they've been engaged after a few months of dating but look I suppose when you know you know but I just yeah echo my original come on (laughs) but Justin thankfully was being a skeptical older brother as he always is but he was saying Everything that I was thinking, everything. I was so happy it was coming out. And it really seems like it was done on a whim. And he has every right to be worried. 
and going over to Christian and asking him to slow things down. And Christian did a good job of like fobbing him off, saying like, well, it's lucky I'm not marrying you then if you want me to slow it down kind of thing. So touche, but still. And then even Jasmine's reaction. So originally we think it doesn't go well, but then it's actually just her like being reminded of Robbo's proposal, which is cute and incredibly sad. But it's Leah's reaction to Justin's reaction that was the kind of shock of the week. We're finally now seeing a bit of the old Leah. I'm delighted. She's back. She's shouting. She's going nuts. And I love it because obviously Justin doesn't realise what he's saying is actually hurting Leah. And it's the biggest test their relationship has gone through in a good while, if ever. And all these comments about marriage being the ultimate commitment really set off Leah. And it kind of calls their whole relationship into perspective and brings it into the conversation. And like, it is a difficult one. And I, there was for a few minutes or a half an episode, I was like, is this the end for Leah and Justin? And yes, like I thought Justin was going to be like, oh, well, I actually do really want to get married. And if that's something that you don't want, well, then we can't agree in this morally. So let's just call it a day. And it just made me think of how fickle some of the some relationships can be. But anyway, I'm delighted that didn't happen because I love them so much. And this whole foursome they've got going on with Christian and Tori is just, well, chef's kiss. But I think while his argument with Leah was like going round and round and round in circles and when Leah's saying stuff like, I don't know how we can get past this, that was a bit like touch and go. But when it was doing all those rounds and, and when Justin was kind of accidentally confessing all his like worries and stresses about Tory, he's actually just dumping what he thinks about marriage in general to Leah. And what they have isn't diminished at all, but I think it's that this whole like catch twenty two situation has brought to the surface where Leah and Justin kind of stand with each other and when Justin was convincing Leah of his love for her and when he said like all I need is you don't need the piece of paper I suppose in a way that was kind of like their wedding it's kind of like their commitment to each other yeah so yeah it was an interesting one but I just like so relieved I was kind of on tender hooks really not wanting them to break up because then this like shock announcement from Tori and Christian would have meant that Lee and Justin broke up so I'm really glad that didn't happen but never mind Justin Christian is going to be getting it in the neck from somebody else and that is Lewis so aside from reconnecting with Jasmine after 10 years and kind of the, oh, do you believe in fate? And this is so meant to be that we've met each other and we're two kind of bruised souls and you, now we're great mates and, and we've both been through a lot. But Lewis just can't stop sniffing around. So he's taken on more shifts at the hospital and the evils of Christian are just coming in thick and fast. He's eavesdropping every chance he gets. He's double checking charts. And I'm really glad that Jasmine copped on because she is a good influence to him and she's kind of a good sounding board and she's not really egging him on. She's really able to settle him. And I know he does have every reason to be upset with Christian and what happened to his wife, Anna, was awful. So there is reason, but it's just made even worse. The Christian doesn't even remember him. Oh, so and when he's saying stuff like, I'm going to be watching Christian like a hawk. And then where Jasmine is good is saying like, you need to let go of this or it'll eat you alive. But then when the when that patient died, I like they're kind of getting you to question 
Christian as a doctor, aren't they? Give him kind of a little bit of sympathy towards Lewis and his point. So is it the Anna grief or is it not wanting to turn a blind eye to to more patients? I don't know. Oh, <laughs> I'm just sensing this isn't going to go well. Just, just I feel it. <laughs> And now on to John Palmer and Susie. So this mysterious woman has just burst into John's life in clothes that are just far too big for her. She's always swimming around in these suits and dresses. It's very strange. The baby blue suit she was wearing, wearing at the beginning, I think when we first meet her, that was like about four or five sizes too big for her. But then that theme kind of continued they're just she's swimming in her clothes so as predicted last week John freaks out and John is freaking out on their date talking about chicken being alive talking about Marilyn so he calls in the big guns Irene to help him and I kind of felt like they were just starting to relax and then Irene arrives and then it was kind of like oh they probably could have done without her coming but like look she felt bad and then after the date fair play Susie she's like three's a crowd like Irene's great but I want to go out with you so she really is kind of like this mirage of a woman just kind of popped up out of nowhere is she too good to be true I really want John to be happy and I'm maybe they're just doing one of these things where just like boxing him off and then him and the glamorous Susie will just live on the beach and because she really like props him up with all these compliments like call him heroic, talented, humble and she's really getting to know like his routine especially with the surf club. She's very good at riling him up being or like propping him up maybe. Riling's probably not the best word. But like you're doing all the hard work and Al's just giving you grief and yeah, so it's kind of and they're very flirty. Him saying to her after the gym, like, oh, you're glowing. And she's like, and then they agree in a date, is it? And then she's like, better hit the shower. It's got to cool off. Very saucy. I'm into this because he really deserves to be happy. So I'm very intrigued by this Susie woman, I must say. And John's so cute showing off. Like he goes up to Dean a few times and is like, I bet you're wondering who that like bombshell is. She's with me. It's so cute. And like when she's saying stuff like, oh, moving here and like I'm very lonely and it's so hard to make meaningful connections. She's not, I'm, like not wanting to be ghosted and things like that. So, oh, fingers crossed for Johnny boy. Oh, and then we have Colby. So we get news that he's back in the hospital infirmary and then released from it very prematurely, in my medical opinion. Like he nearly died. And poor Bella's at her wit's end trying to convince Dean to care. And Dean's just, again, with the home truths. He learned nothing from last week. He's just so blunt with Bella, saying like, oh, we can't help. Only Colby can save Colby. And it just reminded me a lot of, you know, the beach with Leonardo DiCaprio. When they all go swimming and one of the Swedish guys gets uh, bitten by the shark, but like is pretty dead, but he's just there alive and they can't really, he needs to be in a hospital and he's kind of slowly dying. And then the whole tribe on the beach just kind of leave him to die and accept that a really gorgeous French man stays. So Dean's mentality reaction to Colby, I think is very similar 
to the beach. Dean is the tribe abandoning Colby, the half-dead Swedish shark bite victim. <laughs> Hot take alert. Um, I do understand Dean. When Dean kind of explains that the more you care, if you don't disassociate, you're only going to care more and it's going to make you more upset by how powerless you are. I get that, but like we have to grieve the fact that he's gone to prison. So, so yeah, it's just, it's a sad. But luckily, John swashbuckles in, saves the day when he convinces Dean to go and bring Bella, poor Bella, checking her bus times, bring her to the to the prison. And like the fact that Dean was going to go, I go inside the prison and visit Colby with Bella is just amazing. Like, go on, John. And I think when he said like Bella's been let down enough and do you want to walk away from the the only person that needs you the most, that really put it into perspective. So just who knew it would have come from John? Amazing. In the midst of all his Susie bragging. But anyway, then they get to the prison and find out that Colby's in solitary. And then the letter to Bella arrives. So, oh, I can't say I didn't well up. Like when he said, when he said, I'll always be your big brother, but you need to let me go. Don't forget how much I love you. Oh, it's just so awful. It's so sad. I just feel because Colby's such a nice guy. And now he's in this like prison environment where he has nobody. He literally is all on his own. Yeah, and it's all just echoed then by Ari saying, yeah, it's, it's for the best. He's setting you free. So and then you have Dean and Bella's reaction to all this of the no more visiting and like Dean scrolling through his phone. Willow, Colby, Ziggy, gone, gone, gone. And poor Bella's in a state. So it's just awful. And then we have this scene of Colby and the knife and that guy with the scary voice who beat him up originally with the weird mohawk for a man of his age. But <laughs> so he's obviously stabbed someone, gone it. So he's proving his place, taking the advice that Dean gave him last week of you need to make them afraid of you kind of thing. So, yeah, it's... It's just gone such, it's splintered into such a, two awful directions and I'm just so sad. But what you may know already, but what I think I wasn't aware, I I actually had to go onto the Home and Away Instagram, which is something I never like to do because there is spoilers aplenty because obviously Australia is much, much more ahead of us. But I did see something pop up on my newsfeed that said Colby's last scene. And, but I obviously scrolled by and was like, la, 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 not looking at that. But then when this week happened, I was like, oh no, was that Colby's last scene? And I'm so sad to say that it was. And there's a video on there and it interviews Tim Franklin, who plays Colby, all about how they shot it. And it was actually in a real prison. And how scary or like kind of how real that made him feel. And he was like, I didn't really have to act much because I was in a real prison in a real solitary confinement cell. And it was pretty scary. It was actually too dark to film that they had to hold this special lighting guy up for him. So that's the last of Colby. I'm just so sad. I love Senior Constable Colby Vaughan. Yeah, so it's quite an end of an era, an end of a story storyline in a way. And he doesn't want anyone to visit him. He wants to set everyone free. Look, you never know. He could, if Shahomanoi is still going in 25 years, come on, Colby, come back. You and Bella, big reunion. Oh.
Anyway, what a lovely distraction this week was Kieran. Oh, he's just so snarky, isn't he? He's just the most unlikable person. They're all being really nice to him and he's just whipping out all the mean comments. Like he's really awkward with everyone who just wants to like, Martha's just trying to like invite him for dinner and he's being really awkward. He's lying about being in work. He then tries to buy booze from Mac and then tricks her into saying that, oh no, it was just a club soda. And and then I love how he's resorted to a booze delivery service to get his fix. And then he's like stumbling out of the caravan late for work. Everyone's copping on. Then Rue and Ryder kind of have a chin wag about piecing together his lies. And so I feel like they're closing in on him. Like he's not very good at hiding it, especially with the attitude he has. But like, don't you find it weird that he doesn't wear a uniform? He doesn't wear the Summer Bay Fitness red uniform. Willow, when Willow worked there, you couldn't get her out of the thing. You were like, do you work every single day? So I just find find that weird that he's working in his like denim jacket and jeans. Uh, Maybe because he's not a personal trainer. But I feel like he should have some kind of gym look about him, not just denim. uh, Or have some kind of like gym branding on him. Anyway, find that strange. But anyway, but when Rue comes in to visit him and just kind of ask him for a chat, he's so intimidating and like asks him, is he back drinking? And he's like, oh, and fobs are off and is quite aggressive in his like physical presence. But like, does he not stink of booze? Like a hangover is smelly. Can they not smell the booze off him? Maybe not when he's drinking, drinking, but like a hangover you can smell. He should stink. I just love these kind of storylines. So I'm very excited to see where this is going to go. Now, before we get on to the massive baggage drop <laughs> um, from the, from Ari Parada this week, <laughs> quick one about poor old Ryder and his big blue badge. How cute. And like wearing it, he was just proud as punch. I loved all the shtick Mac was given to him. Even Rue was like, yeah, agree with everyone hanging in your bedroom. <laughs> it's just so funny. It's like it's even on his backpack. Oh, Ryder. And... Also, a nota bene is Marilyn was wearing a dress this week that was like black with white stripes on the sleeves. I think she has a uniform for like flowery or printed dresses. They're all the exact same. They have kind of a off V neck, very fitted. And then she wears them with big fat earrings and heels. Marilyn wears that every single episode, just a different version of the same thing. To see her in an all black, I, I was quite surprised. It looked lovely and very, a welcome change, Marilyn, a welcome change. But anyway, the other return this week was Neek. He comes back from New Zealand. It seems like he's grown up a bit. He now has his dad's necklace, the family heirloom. And he brings back with him quite the surprise. And they were trying to bring it down the route of, oh, I've fallen in love with somebody else. And like, it came right at the time where Bella got her letter from Colby being like, please don't visit me and try to forget about me. So I was like, I don't know if Bella can take this being dumped on top of everything. It should be as down in the dumps as Dean in that situation. So I'm glad that didn't happen. But Chloe's arrival, like, talk about over familiar. Anyway, I'm just a bit, my back is up. There's a lot of new characters. I don't know how I feel about it. And I do enjoy the comments from like Tane being like, oh, hello, little nuisance, my CD thief. And they seem to really go way back with her. And, like, her relationship with Nick is kind of cute, but, like, 
hello, I doubt Bella's going to be happy with that. But I just kind of need to know more of this timeline of the stepdaughter to Ari. Like, they keep saying you were just a kid. We know she's legal. So if it was 10 years ago, she was eight. So, yeah, it kind of checks out. Or she could be like 21, um, meaning that she was 11. But it was quite the connection that they all have. And you kind of get a real sense of family then from the Pradas. And that's nice. But she really seemed to have had quite a bond with Ari. And he's obviously shell-shocked. And obviously hasn't mentioned it to anyone. Not even to Dean in prison or like or Mac. Uh, like I just... Would he himself, after coming out of prison, not have gone, okay, like I'm out now. Would my like ex-girlfriend and the daughter want to know about me? Or is it out of the Colby school of thought and going, no, just forget about me and we just are nothing to each other anymore? I don't know. Yeah, the mum's decision to move them away and not give not give Chloe a reason or kind of lie to her saying that he doesn't, Ari doesn't want to see, see them anymore. That wasn't really right. But if they had agreed that prison wasn't the right place for kids, what did Ari really expect? I don't know. So when Ari says, you can stay with me once you tell your mum where you are, I think... A mother might be arriving soon, an ex-girlfriend. So I think Mac got a bit doofed out of the way by a shell-shocked Ari. But yeah, I don't know. I don't know what that means for them. I really don't. It's quite the massive bombshell of baggage. Alrighty, well that about wraps it up for me this week. A big thank you for listening. If you like what you hear, I would love if you could rate, review and or subscribe to Summer Bays, but no pressure. If you want to get in touch, Summer Bays is on Instagram at Summer Bays Podcast or you can email me, summerbayspodcast at gmail.com. G'day and I'll talk to you next week. <laughs>